Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The same people who gave Biden low marks and approval gave extremely high marks to the hard infrastructure bill. Democrats didn't show up. They were not motivated. They're not excited. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The national trends of the Democrat Party definitely woke a lot of people up that they needed to get out and vote. The Biden administration seems to hate the oil and gas industry. It's one of the reasons gas prices are so high. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Fed chair speaks. The markets tank. Omicron still hanging over us. There's still no plan for the debt ceiling. And the CBO is now warning the U.S. Treasury could run out of cash before the end of December. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. You may want to grab a hold of something with a vicious cycle now spinning here in Washington. And after we bring you the latest from Washington to Wall Street, we'll talk about it with Congressman Frank Lucas, Republican from Oklahoma, the rancher on the House Financial Services Committee where you had Jay Powell and Janet Yellen testify in round two tomorrow after making a lot of news today. And as defense spending hits a setback in the Senate, we'll discuss the policy behind the money with retired General Mark Kimmett, former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs later this hour. We have the signature panel back today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. It was something to hear Jay Powell actually say it. He may have rehearsed it. Because he sounded so casual. You, you might have missed it if you weren't paying attention. As opposed to the old days when Alan Greenspan would simply just say it in another language. This, this was plain English today on the timeline for the taper. Since the last meeting, we've seen um, basically elevated inv- inflation pressures. We've seen very strong labor market data without any improvement in labor supply. Uh, and we've seen strong spending data, too. So... And remembering that every dollar of asset purchases does increase accommodation, um, we now look at an economy that's very strong and inflationary pressures that are high. And I, it, that, that, that means it's appropriate, I think, for us to discuss at our next meeting, which is in a couple of weeks, uh, whether it will be appropriate to wrap up our, uh-huh. our purchases a few months earlier. There it is. It's like falling off a log. And it was Senator John Kennedy, the Republican from Louisiana who drew it out of Jay Powell with a question asked in a similar form of plain English. Listen. I realize that uh, no one is clairvoyant, but um, <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that the, uh, the experts who have been advising you about the future rate of inflation have uh, pretty much the same credibility those, as those uh, late-night psychic hotlines you see on TV. Um, Is the Fed considering increasing the pace of its tapering? We've got to get control of inflation. It's 
It's ravaging our people. And you heard the answer. Two important moments from today's hearing before the Senate Banking Committee. You heard this unfold, of course, on Bloomberg Radio. Jay Powell even said it was time to stop using the word transitory. Did you hear that? So I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. To, to many, it carries a time, a sense of, uh, of short-lived. We, we tend to, 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 to ha- use it to mean that, that it won't leave a permanent mark uh, in, the, in the form of higher inflation. I think it's, it's probably a good time to retire that, that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. I've heard it all. Tomorrow, Powell and Yellen have a similar engagement plan with the House Financial Services Committee, and we're joined now by one of its members, Congressman Frank Lucas, as promised, Republican from Oklahoma. It's good to have you, Congressman. Welcome. What's what's the most important question you have for the Fed here tomorrow? I think, Joe, we have to look at is BBB really paid for? We have to look at how is Treasury and the Fed going to respond to this dramatic increase in the debt ceiling. I mean, when we went from $20 trillion at the beginning of COVID to $29 trillion national debt now, that's a huge amount of money pumped out into the economy. Of course you're going to have inflation. Uh, The debt ceiling question, Mm -hmm. what is the real date? Uh, It's going to be a really lively hearing tomorrow, Joe. Sounds like it. We hear, now, we, we heard from CBO today that it be, could be before the end of December. Do you think the Treasury has a different take? Uh, I've been around the banking committee since the days when Mr. Greenspan used to testify before us. Yes. I've been on the committee when we've chased uh, secretaries of so Treasury. So you have the magic the decoder ring. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think they'll uh, be able to create whatever date they need. But the bottom line is it has to happen. And no matter what my friends in the Democratic majority say, it's their responsibility to step up to the plate on this, and we'll see how they respond. Uh, But this is just a continuation of the berserk nature of Washington, D.C. these days, (laughs) and we have to do the best we can in this environment. Well, let's back up a little bit and, and just hit this inflation note for a moment, because that was pretty startling for the markets to hear Jay Powell say that today. Is he doing the right thing? Is it time to... To, to quicken the taper, get on with the tightening. But, Joe, you can't continue to create money. You can't continue to pub, public debt forever. This has to come to a stop. In what fashion we get there, I do not know. I was a young farmer in college in the days of Mr. Volcker under Jimmy Carter and then Ronald Reagan. I remember paying 17% to buy cow feed when I was over-collateralized. It is very, very stressful on the economy. And the bottom line is, how do you make sure that the capital markets can make rational decisions to allocate resources? Inflation distorts all of that, in many ways reminiscent of how the Biden administration is trying to use regulatory forces to change how we uh, produce and consume our energy. this, This track we're on, we have to get back to reality pretty soon. And we're not there yet. And hopefully tomorrow in the committee, we'll uh, press on with that yeah. issue. Well, so you're going to be sitting across from Chair Powell uh, and, of course, Secretary Yellen. What's your thought on his renomination? Do you support it and do you trust him with the job of controlling inflation? Do you Does, does he have your trust as a member of the committee? You're talking about someone who's been reappointed by the Biden administration. You're talking about an individual who is the best we could possibly hope for coming out of this crowd. You're talking about the administration that's going to give us a federal vice chairman pretty soon who's going to be tasked with using regulatory things to torment the economy. Uh, Yes, Mr. Powell's the best we could possibly hope for in this situation right now. And 
as you look across the year, he seems to think prices are going to relax halfway through next year that, okay, we're not going to use the word transitory, but if I'm reading him right, you know, the next six months or so, we could be back to something more stable. Do you believe that? Joe, I'm an eternal optimist. I wouldn't be a farmer and a member of Congress. (laughs) But when you increase the national debt by $9 trillion in a year and a half, when you go through the kind of stimulus program that the feds have gone through in quantitative easing, when you have the Treasury policy we had both under Trump and under Biden, you've dramatically increased the dollars out there chasing fewer and fewer resources. Uh, I hope he's right, but I don't hardly see how that can be the case unless he makes the changes he's hinted at in federal policy. Congressman, you're worried about Lael Brainerd, aren't you? Uh, yes. Yes. I What's it going to change in this, in this Fed? They've been, they've been billed as essentially the same person when it comes to policy. Is that not true? Well, lots of people get billed in an interesting way in this town. They do. Let's just say that. Sounds like somebody said something about you. <laughs> you can leave it Joe, at that. I'm an old school fella. I believe that the market economy is the best way to allocate resources. I believe interference from the federal government is how we create bad situations that are sometimes destructive beyond belief. I would like for the administration to step back from this desire, whether it's agriculture or whether it's energy in particular right now, when they can't pass bills to, to turn off certain forms of energy and they can't get their own majority to pass bills to tax those forms out of existence, they want to use regulatory processes to say to industry, you have to pretend that this is a, a, a bad decision. Uh, that's distorting. That's distorting the market, and we, can't, we, we have to fight that, Joe. We're joined by Congressman Frank Lucas, Republican from Oklahoma, who was uh, on the committee that will be Hosting Powell Yellen tomorrow. How about this deadline Friday? Can Democrats and Republicans at least figure out how to fund the government, or do we do we kick the can again here for a while? I think the willpower exists in the House. I think we understand that a clean CR to fund things over into January is the way to go. We've all watched the stock market roll the last few days, and no one wants to have a meltdown in the holiday seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other body is a different creature, the United States Senate. They have a different way of looking at things. Yeah, they do. Uh, I can only hope that we'll step up and be reasonable and responsible, and I will hope the administration will encourage their majorities in the House and the Senate to pursue that reasonable and rational focus. Uh, after all, if you're not going to play with the political minority, then you've got the responsibility, work, play, however you want to describe it. You have the responsibility to do it yourself, and we'll see if they are responsible people. I only have a minute, Congressman. I've enjoyed this conversation. I just have to ask you about Omicron. Now that it's entered our lexicon, I've heard a lot of people mention to me over the past couple of days that it's recalibrating everything in Washington. Everything is now being reconsidered. Is that the case for you? Well, as ranking member of the Science Committee, I will tell you this is something we all expected. Viruses never stop changing. They never stop mutating. We still have the Spanish flu of 1918 amongst us, only it's had 100 years of variations to get to this point. I think we have to be calm, but 
let's at least get everybody vaccinated with the with the vaccines we have now, and right. then let's step up with the next variation of the vaccines to move forward. We're going to be we're going to be vaccinated for COVID every year, just as we're vaccinated for the flu. It's just the reality of the world we're in, Joe. That does seem to be where we are. We're living with it. You know, a lot of people are going to work still through this stuff, and obviously a lot of kids are going to school, and it does seem like if we get through this variant, people get vaccinated, they deal with the masking, whatever they have to do, they're living with it and working through it. Congressman, I appreciate your insights. Congressman Frank Lucas, Republican from Oklahoma, come back and see us. You're on Bloomberg Radio. We'll be listening for him tomorrow. In fact, I'll try to make a point of doing that here, uh, bringing some of the questions that he is asking Jay Powell and Janet Yellen tomorrow. So thank you for being with us on Bloomberg Radio as we digest his comments and remarks. We're going together back to that scary place we call the unknown. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. And there's only one panel for that. With apologies to the fans of Frozen 2. Rick and Jeannie with us on Sound On Next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. But can they make news twice? Powell and Yellen, they testify round two tomorrow, as we were discussing. And I don't know, if you sat through all three episodes of the new Beatles documentary last weekend, you have no excuse but to listen to the hearing in real time tomorrow to find out. We'll have it for you on Bloomberg, of course. I do want to hear from the panel on this, among some of the other headlines we discussed with Congressman Lucas. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here. And Jeannie, we've discussed more than once transitory as a poor choice of words, if not something untrue, I guess the Fed chair has finally caught on here. Should he have put that to rest earlier? He should have. And it, great news. Transitory is now out of fashion. So it is being retired, according to the Fed chair. And they should have retired it a long time ago. He was right to make that case. In Just from a political perspective, um, it is important because, of course, it doesn't feel transitory to Americans who are experiencing this pain. And so it never made sense from a political perspective. And I think we're starting to see that come through in his testimony today. Rick Davis, how much of a calculation goes into a hearing like this uh, by the newsmakers? I know the lawmakers are well rehearsed. They're all filming you know, commercials while they're up there. But when you're Jay Powell, how carefully choreographed is that? that telegraphing, as we like to call it, in a, in a hearing like this? Well, I think every word is parsed for what its potential impact is on not only the U.S. market, but global markets. I yeah. mean, that may be the most nuanced testimony uh, of anyone who goes in front of Congress is the role of the chairman of the Fed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I have no doubt that this was a major decision 
you know, within his operation to, you know, sort of walk back on the uh, mention that inflation was transitory. And uh, we we saw it almost as uh, as a as a colloquy between he and the members of Congress as to how they were teeing it up so that he could walk it back. And I have no (laughs) doubt that from back channels that was all orchestrated. They knew Uh, it was coming. It's just it's just he knew it was coming. Um, I'm sure the Democrats had been all over this on the Hill saying we've got to get a different message out of the Fed on this because not only has it lasted longer than um, I think the chairman had thought, uh, 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 you know, uh, Congressman uh, you interviewed earlier said it right. I mean, this has gone too long to be called transient. And and at the end of the day, I mean, it sends just as, as Jeannie was saying, a horrible message to voters that, you know, I just grin and bear it. This can't be that hard. It's going to go away in a little while. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and it's it, and, and, and if anything, that is where the rub has been for the Biden administration and his his image with the public. But did he do it well, Jeannie? The Dow still fell 650 points after that careful choreography. Yeah, there is that portion of it. Um, yeah. You know, one thing I would point to that I thought was fascinating was that you have Democrats like Sherrod Brown who are, you know, not happy with some of the messaging here. They are very, very concerned. And Sherrod Brown has said this, right? You don't want them to pump the brakes, he said, on the economic recovery before workers get a chance to fully rebound. And so that is a message, I think, that the more liberal, progressive, perhaps, members of of the Democratic Party who are looking, I think it's fascinating, at the the chairman and and nominated again um and looking at this message perhaps not as welcoming of it as some of the other members of congress i asked the congressman as well about the debt ceiling and uh, he jumped right to the fact that that he believes that the u.s will not default because democrats need to handle this now they're in the majority uh interesting remarks today i want to hear from uh, both leaders in the senate it's first mitch mcconnell And then we'll hear from Chuck Schumer. But listen to the way this has evolved as we approach what appears to be a deadline now on the debt ceiling in the next month, roughly or so. CBO says could be by the end of December that the Treasury runs out of money. Here's Mitch McConnell. Yeah, first, let let me assure everyone the government will not default as it never has. And second, the majority leader and I have been having discussions about the way forward. Okay, across the aisle and also briefing reporters today, Senator Chuck Schumer. Look, I think that first Leader McConnell and I are having good conversations on this. I'm not going to get in details. We have not come to an agreement. Anyone who says there is an agreement is not correct. But I think that what we need to do is come up with an agreement that doesn't risk the full faith and credit of the United States. It's never been risked before in a way that both parties can support. Okay, so everyone's having meetings now and talking about stuff. Rick Davis, what's going on here around this time? Uh, in the last approach of the debt ceiling, Mitch McConnell was being very vocal about his his opposition to getting involved here. He said, no way. Now we're all kind of hanging out and talking. Yeah, this is a classic. The old dog did learn a few new tricks in the last couple of months. <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, Minority Leader McConnell uh, clearly got out too far on the limb and said that, you know, he wasn't going to lift a finger for these Democrats. And then he, he did exactly what he said he wasn't going to do. He lifted yeah. a finger. Didn't do much more than that, but he allowed this uh, debt limit to be kicked until uh, December. Uh, we could debate all day as to you know when 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 the lights get turned off. But at the bottom line is this is a completely different approach, where you know he has said for uh, a little over a week or ten days that 
he's working with uh, Majority Leader Schumer to, to iron this out, and that unequivocally he will not allow the debt limit uh, to, uh, to, to, to expire. So um, it should be reassuring to everyone that for a change, there isn't a draconian political statement being made around something as important as the debt limit. Uh, maybe they'll figure this out and we won't have to do the cliff thing again. We want to focus for a moment on the defense spending bill, the NDAA that has been stalled in the Senate now for weeks. Nearly $800 billion, but it never gets the attention or the publicity, the coverage of other more controversial legislation, I guess. Maybe that's because it's usually not at risk. So let's talk about the stakes here. A night after we had some trouble, as I read from Bloomberg government, and a great piece here, a really newsy article that I suggest you check out on the terminal. The vote to cut off debate failed 45 to 51 as Republican senators demanded consideration of more amendments to the annual Pentagon policy measure. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was asked about this today, as you would expect when he faced reporters. Here's what he said. Uh, The dilemma we have on the floor at the moment with regard to the NDAA, which is passed every year for 60 straight years, is the Majority Leader has been reluctant to enter into an agreement for a reasonable number of amendments related to the subject. This is still being discussed, and I'm hoping we'll find a way forward. But really, this is must-pass legislation. So what's going on here if it's a must-pass? This needs to get done, obviously, and we're joined to talk about it by an authority. As I mentioned, General Mark Kimmett is with us, retired Brigadier General, former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs. Do we have a problem here, General, or does this work itself out before the end of the year? Oh, Joe, this is all politics. I would expect this to pass uh, next week. Uh, this is like the bills to uh, pass the National Park Service, and, and if they don't get it, they're going to close yeah. down the Washington Monument. Of course they're going to pass it. What are we going to do, let the aircraft carriers run out of gas, let our troops not be paid? Right. Uh, so this is just part of the game that goes on every time around this year. And uh, I wouldn't uh, waste my time worrying about it too much. So how come it comes down to the line? There are some amendments apparently Republican senators are pushing to consider, uh, including more sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Is it worth bringing this close to the deadline or you're not bothered as a military man who knows those resources are needed? Well, the resources will be uh, will be given to us by the government. Uh, nobody is going to stand up in front of their their uh, congressional district or their state and said, I cut off money for our troops. So this is, again, this is just the kabuki dance that goes on every time about this time of year and uh, makes a lot of wave, a lot of noise, a lot of heat, but uh, doesn't really account for anything. Is there enough in the bill, General? There was some debate between Republicans and Democrats over tens of billions of dollars in funding. Well, look, this is an $800 billion defense budget. It's the largest defense budget in the world. Uh, There will be enough for us to um, do our mission. There's no doubt about it. Even if 10 10 billion here, 10 billion there is not a lot of money inside the defense budget. There are critical issues primarily for future procurement that always seem to be cut off at the last minute. But -hmm. in terms of paying our troops, in terms of conducting our operations, there will be enough money for that. The F-35 comes up a lot. Always does. Do we need to keep paying for this massive program? This thing is worth almost as much as some of the social spending plans we've been talking about. 
Well, it depends if you ask an Air Force guy or an Army guy. You know <laughs> I'm an Army guy, and uh, I would say that the money that goes into the F-35 could certainly be used for uh, Army programs or, for that matter, Navy programs. We do need to maintain air superiority. Uh, there's always a question about these types of procurement programs like the F-35. You'll always see the cost overruns. Mm-hmm. You'll always see them be built at the very time when the technology is in many ways second generation. So uh, there is a reasonable argument for the F-35, but like everything else, the size of that program is such that it's always going to invite debate and it's always going to invite disagreement. Well, it also has to invite a conversation about who who we're preparing uh, to to face off against, right? Is the F-35 about China? And if it's not, who are we preparing to go to war with, hopefully avoiding? Look, the F-35 has been in development for years and years. It is not tailored for one specific threat like China, and it's not tailored for one specific time period like the next 10 years. Uh, We want a capabilities-based military, one that has enough capabilities to handle any threat. If we were building a threat-based force, of course we would build it against China. But we don't have that luxury of knowing who our enemies are going to be in 10 years, so we've got to build a capability that can address any of a number of conflicts around the year, around the world. General Mark Kimmett, we spent some time talking uh, during the very messy withdrawal from Afghanistan. How has that process impacted or should impact the final product in this bill here? Goods we don't need, for instance, equipment we may not need, missions that we're not pursuing any longer. Did the conversation change because of the end of that war? Well, I really don't think so. Now, that freed up some financial resources, um, but the U.S. military for years and years had been looking beyond Afghanistan, looking beyond Iraq, and focused on near-peer and peer competitors like China. Mm -hmm. Just because we ended the war in Afghanistan didn't mean we woke up the next day and started focusing on China. Uh, Your military is pretty good at this kind of stuff. It It can juggle a couple of balls at the same time. So the end of the war in Afghanistan didn't really change the force structure, nor did it change our mission set, nor did it change where we are focused on in the next five to ten years. Is it time to get rid of this, repeal the authorization for use of military force? Oh, that's a different story entirely, and I could debate that for years and years. I certainly want to make sure that the, that the president has the ability at any time of his choosing to address the terrorist threat. But time to write a new one? uh, I'd stick with the old one. General Mark Kimmett, always a straight answer. Glad you could be with us. Former Assistant Secretary for State, of State, I should say, for political military affairs and and a fascinating, unique take here on a story that doesn't get nearly enough attention. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So yeah, Jay Powell's retiring the word transitory. Big headline today. Got me thinking, what other word should the Biden administration retire in the new year? Could be a lot of them. Maybe literally. I think last year was Kofefe we got rid of, right? So President Biden left the bubble today, even with all the swirling stories we've been talking about. Around the taper, inflation, the debt ceiling, pick one, we'll go with it. Air Force One to Rosemount, Minnesota. Even with the new variant and everything else out there, the traveling salesman is back to publicize the new infrastructure law and to make the case 
for the social spending agenda. And then we find the headline, one of the first I read this morning, Manchin holds off on committing to moving Biden agenda this year. And we've got the panel back. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Rick, this is really Groundhog Day. But when you hear Chuck Schumer say he wants to get this done by Christmas and Joe Manchin immediately tells reporters that he's not on board with the timeline, with what we know, the little we know about this virus now looming, are we are we adjusting odds for the president's plan to pass? Uh, you know, Joe, I think we've come to the conclusion, especially in today's segment, uh, covering so many controversies within the United States Senate, that the level of dysfunction within the Senate is increasing every day. Why in the world would the majority leader take a position that he's going to pass this before Christmas without actually checking in with the one guy who is the determining factor on that, Joe Manchin. So, you know, that goes out publicly and Manchin knocks it down. I mean, it just shows how level of disorganization (laughs) and lack of communication exists there. It doesn't sound like a body uh, that's going to ever pass anything, right? Well, you know, they've actually been really successful this year getting things done. I mean, today we've pointed to all the things that they still have on their plate and it's going to be a wild and woolly December if they expect to hit the mark on all this stuff. But look, we've always suspected that there may be a problem getting Build Back Better Pass at all, right? I mean, Joe Manchin's got concerns. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders has concerns with the House Pass version. He isn't happy with what what came to them from the House. And of course, the wild card, Kristen Sinema, she doesn't talk as much as those guys do, but, you know, she certainly got a vote and her vote matters in this case. And she hasn't been willing to uh, stake a position that says that uh, that she's ready to move forward before Christmas. This, so this is a case, though, my, Rick, my guess that you is there's a mismatch. Point, you point back to the memo, I think, very appropriately. If you go back and read the memo, there really should be no surprises. Does, is this included? Absolutely. This is exactly what we've been talking about since July. I mean, this is not a shock. Uh, uh, Joe Manchin staked out turf that was very specific and very clear and his terms have not been met, either on the overall number, which actually went up in the House, not down to where he right. wanted it, uh, and the policies that he said he would not vote for are in that bill. So the House basically said, we're blowing you off and sending you what we like. Let the Senate do their work. And now, unfortunately, Mitch McConnell and, and – and not Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, Chuck has Schumer. absolutely no ability seemingly to move um, either the le- – toward uh, Manchin or Manchin toward the legislation. Where are you on this, Jeannie? Because a lot of people are rethinking, well, everything in the last 48 hours. If we're dealing with this new COVID strain, lawmakers are arguing over how to fix this debt ceiling issue. That could suck up all the oxygen and money out of the room between now and the end of the year. Chuck Schumer sitting on a self-imposed deadline to nowhere. Well, and and I said yesterday that I I do think the new variant does change things to a a certain extent with the Build Back Better bill. Um, Isn't it it, feeling more like that today? It it does. I I, you know since I heard about it over Thanksgiving weekend, it felt like it was going to be very hard to move that forward by somebody like Joe Manchin with the concerns about inflation. And, you know, we were just talking about that. You were just talking about the NDAA. And one of the things that, you know, Chuck Schumer is rightly frustrated by is you've got Joe Manchin in his own party making these statements. And you've also got 
Senate Republicans under Mitch McConnell doing everything they can to stall what should have been the easiest thing for them to pass. I mean, there's no question Chuck Schumer came back to Washington on, on Monday, all prepared to move NDA through and then get to the debt ceiling, the funding and maybe build back better. Mm-hmm. So he is facing, as you do in a 50-50 Senate, he's facing pushback, obviously, from the other side and from inside the House, his own party. And so to move that forward is going to be very, very tough. And of course, the president did the right thing. Get out of Dodge, get to Minnesota and talk <laughs> about the hard infrastructure bill that you did pass. But was anyone listening? I mean, this is a tough environment. You know, I'm sure in, locally there was a big a bunch of news, but I don't know that anybody even carried that speech. That I, I don't know that it was carried live, but we listened, Joe. You listened yeah, you carefully. <laughs> so. if, you, if you got through all three episodes of the Beatles, I'm telling you, you have no excuse. <laughs> Clearly, I did. Rick. Uh, Give us your sense about the defense authorization bill. Is General Kimmett right? There's nothing to see here. There's nothing to see here, but it sure is wacky. I mean, this bill came out of the House in September 24th to the Senate. It's usually a routine matter to schedule floor time and knock out the amendments. There are over a thousand amendments with only 50 making into the manager's package which means there's a lot of people who had a lot of things they wanted to do to this bill that they didn't get a chance to. Because remember, this bill has only been done by the committee, uh, the Senate Armed Services Committee. If everybody else in the Senate would like to you know, uh, amend it, they get a, they get a chance to do that. I, what is amazing to me is a lot of the problems we have with all these bills we've been talking about, including reconciliation, including the debt limit, including the budget, is that Schumer just refuses to schedule floor time, including you know, getting all these nominees passed through the uh, Senate uh, that Joe Biden needs to do his work. So um, I, I know he's not a master of the Senate the way Mitch McConnell legislatively, you know, very uh, adroit. But but why they don't schedule time to actually knock out these amendments and pass the NDAA? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they took what's called USICA, the China competition bill, off yeah, of it right. uh, before uh, they got started in order to make it easier to pass the NDAA. And USICA is in conference and NDAA is still waiting for a vote in the Senate. Well, so I mean, is this a perfect as the enemy of the good kind of a, an issue here or, or is the leader just being disorganized? I think the leader's just being disorganized. Uh, everybody in the Senate wants to pass the NDAA and all he's got to do is set it down on the floor long enough Jeez. to to knock down these amendments and, and it'll get ready to go. And even the House chairman uh, of the uh, HASC, uh, Adam Smith, has said he's ready to like do ping pong uh, conferencing and just knock it out as soon as we can so that we can get this done before Christmas. I'd say the only thing worse than not passing an increase in the debt limit is not giving paychecks to a bunch of people we issued guns to. Yeah, fair enough. Jeannie, last time you and I talked about this, about it growing mold, uh, was on Veterans Day. They get this done the next week. I really hope that they do. I think they should. Um, you know, I think we're seeing signs, and we've seen many of them throughout this year that Mitch McConnell is having some difficulty. I mean, sorry, Chuck Schumer is having yeah. some difficulty in his role as majority leader. Rick made a great point: the fact that he would promise to pass the bill back better without talking to the two people who matter most before he goes out and makes that statement. You know, that is just the mark, as is this issue of the NDAA, of some of the stumbles he's been having. He's in a, it's a thankless task, there's no question. But 
he has got to move this forward. You know, he thought he was going to be able to do it easily. He, if he can't, he's got to get to the floor and get these amendments moved. He can't give the Republicans all of this time to be pushing back and to waste the time that they desperately need mm-hmm. on the government funding, on the debt ceiling. You know, let's just forget about Build Back Better for a moment. Let's yeah, not right. forget we don't even have key ambassadors in key countries that need to be pushed through the Senate and passed. So he's got a lot on his table, but this the, the showing in the last several months has not been good. I'll add another headline that Joe Manchin made today uh, that didn't get too much news because he has said it before, but reiterating that he supports considering the debt ceiling increase through reconciliation. Does Does that make that inevitable, Rick? Yeah, it's a chip shot. Honestly, we've been talking about this for months. Why the Democrats just don't do it um, is baffling. There's never been a good explanation as to why they don't pursue the reconciliation uh, vehicle uh, for the debt increase, uh, other than the complaint about Mitch McConnell not playing um, not playing cooperation with them. So um, I I don't know how they think they're going to get this done. The idea that you're going to get all 100 senators to unanimously consent to this pack, you know, to the debt limit being brought to the floor is too unrealistic. <laughs> right. And everyone <laughs> you know, knows. And so I, I, I think if McConnell's willing to say, hey, I'll drop the Votorama requirements on the reconciliation bill, then, then they should stick it on reconciliation and move as quickly as they can to the exit door. Last word, Jeannie. Is that good advice for Chuck Schumer? It is good advice. We heard Janet Yellen, what she said about this needing to be done. She is absolutely right. And Democrats have to stop assuming that they are getting political points by pointing to the fact that the other guys are holding things up. They're not getting any political points. Get this done, put it behind them and move on. It sounds like you may be moving on from reconciliation, though, in terms of the social spending agenda. Does Build Back Better bleed into the new year, Jeannie? It does bleed into the new year. Love these straight answers today. This program is like comfort food in the middle of winter, I tell you, and that always comes back to our signature panel. That's why we love these guys. Rick and Jeannie, thanks as ever. Thanks to all of our guests, including General Mark Kimmett and the gentleman from Oklahoma, the rancher on the House Financial Services. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.